Hey guys, and welcome back to Mind the Green Space, the podcast where we talk about all things adventure, sustainability, and mental health, and how they all somehow interconnect. This podcast is in collaboration with Powerful Parks. To find out more about them, check out the description below. and welcome back to season two of Mind the Green Space. This week I'm joined by Hannah Reynolds who is a pretty keen cyclist I would say. She's just come up with a book cycling guide called 1001 Cycling Tips. So Hannah if you'd like to say hi and introduce yourself what you do and all that jazz. Hi everyone and um, yeah really exciting week. A new book coming out. Um, I'm a cycle guide and uh, I write about cycling and I ride my bike a lot and yeah really um keen to help more people get more out of their cycling experience that's amazing um before we get into it then how did you get into cycling how did it become such a big part of your life and now you write about it for a living pretty much uh it was, it was a complete accident um when i was a kid i wasn't even allowed a bike my mum sadly lost a cousin when she was a child in a cycling accident so she was really adamant that me and my brother would not have bikes and we wouldn't cycle because it was too dangerous. And sometimes I think it's a bit like when you tell your kids not to smoke or drink, like it's almost the one thing you ban them from doing is the one thing they really want to do. Yeah. So eventually I did like wear my parents down and get a bike because I felt left out because all my friends were cycling. And when you're a kid, I think cycling is your first taste of real independent travel and freedom. So eventually I got myself a bike, but I still wasn't um, like a keen cyclist. I just enjoyed cycling. But when I went to university, I did a sports science degree and I met some people on my sports science course who were um, uber keen cyclists. Um, Some of them had raced for Great Britain. Some of them had um, competed all over the world. They were like top, top level. And I didn't really understand at the time just how lucky I was to have made those friendships because they kind of like threw me in at the deep end and didn't let me make stupid beginner mistakes and just got me going and then from their passion I developed my own passion and um yeah it just kept rolling really after that that's so cool you kind of got lucky there and just like the people you surround yourself with kind of inspired you to get out I guess yeah exactly and they were really good at dishing out um brilliant advice so no one would kind of let me get away with doing something the wrong way um even with sort of like bike mechanics they were really keen that that they wouldn't do it for me you know I remember when something went wrong with my bike one of the lads just handed me a toolkit and said right go and sit outside for like 10 minutes and if you haven't worked it out I'll come and help you (laughs) so I was just sort of like sat there with my tools on my bike and trying to work out which bit went where and I gave it a good crack completely wrong but then they came and they showed me how to do it properly which is I now understand is the best type of help you can get rather than someone taking it off you and just doing it for you so yeah I was dead lucky to um get expert advice early on yeah I really hope my dad doesn't listen to this podcast because I rely on my dad for all things because me and my dad always (laughs) go cycling together never go on my own so now if he listens to this, he's going to be like, no, you can sort your bike out. You can do all that. And you can go like, and I was like, no, that's my worst nightmare. <laughs> Maybe I need that. <laughs> what inspires you then to write and talk about cycling so much? Um, I think it's been such a, a 
good part of my life. Um, the friendships I've made, the places I've been, the physical experience of feeling fit and healthy and strong, the independence. You know, if my um, if my car doesn't work, then I'm, I don't feel trapped because I can cycle to the supermarket or to work or wherever I need to go. So I think that cycling and my bike has given me, you know, so much in my life. You know, the, um, my partner that I'm with, I met through cycling, um, my closest friendships, my job, but not, um, yeah, it's just, it's just given me so much and I get so much from it and I want other people to have that kind of experience. So, you know, just listening to you saying, oh, my worst nightmare would be to go cycling on my own and I'm like, hey, no, it wouldn't. It's really cool to be able to have the confidence to go off on your bike and explore somewhere, having that self-confidence to know that if you punctured, you could fix it. And if something went wrong, you'd have the skills and the knowledge to put it right. And I think that kind of knowledge and confidence is really empowering and it opens the world up to you as well. Yeah, hundred percent. It's also really interesting when you say that you meet so many people through this hobby of cycling. Because the same things happened to me when I got into walking during the pandemic, and I started going out with groups and stuff. And I have this amazing bunch of friends who are about thirty years older than me. <laughs> so it's like it's having like a million parents and mothers looking over me. But I would never have met those people if I hadn't gone out and started walking and got involved with all these groups. So it's really interesting that you absolutely kind of have experience with cycling. So I think when I've definitely... joined cycling, sorry. <laughs> when I joined a cycling club, I met so many people that I wouldn't have met in any other way. We'd have no connection. But then because of cycling, we've discovered actually we do have things in common and we do have similar ideas and we can have a laugh about stuff. And I think cycling brings people together that you wouldn't meet through school or university or work or your other friendship groups. And in in the group of people I cycle with, there's um, there's scientists who are you know working at like the top level of research, and then there's a plasterer and a plumber and a farmer and someone who works in finance and tax. And you can't imagine any kind of environment when all of those people would be coming together, kind of and doing the same thing as yeah as mates. So I think that's that's it breaks down barriers. I think cycling is really cool for that. Yeah, 100%. That's really interesting. I love that. Just people just coming together because their hobbies. Like, um, I'm like in my early 20s now. So it's really strange to me to make friends outside of like school or something. And I'm trying to learn this new way of like making friends. That's why it was so eye opening when I started doing this walk. And I was like, wow, like, I'm no really good friends. These people that are in their mid 40s. It's, it's all my friends like, that's really strange. I'm like, you just don't have a hobby, guys. You need to get out and start doing something. Yeah. And when you're when you're doing something with someone, it's not as um, it's not as awkward. So yeah. say you go on a on a date with someone for the first time, or you're introduced to a friend of a friend in a bar, and then you have to go, hey, so what do you do, and where do you come from, and you're like facing each other, and it can feel really staged and awkward. When you're walking or cycling with someone, for a start, you kind of do it side by side, so you don't have to look each other in the eye the whole time, which takes away some sort of social awkwardness. And you can always talk about what you're doing. So you don't have to go through that really kind of difficult small talk. And then something will happen and you'll either both laugh at it or you'll have to help each other or I don't know, there'll be some kind of connection. And you kind of leapfrog the difficult part of making friendship the very first stage. 
Yeah, that's such a good point, actually. I never thought about that before, but that's spot on. Um, so you've just brought out, brought out your new book, uh, 1001 Cycling Tips. Firstly, that is a, a lot of tips. Why did you think <laughs> that it was so important to share that many tips? Because you cover everything about cycling. Uh, because there, there's so many things that can make your life easier. Yeah. Um, I mean, each each tip in a way is kind of like a little life hack and you go, oh, right. Yeah. OK, so that's going to make my cycling easier or more enjoyable or hopefully um, maybe change someone's kind of mindset about something. So none of them are none of them are big. Like I don't think anyone's ever going to sit down and read a thousand and one tips like front to back. But hopefully you could like flick through it and something will jump out of the page and you'll go, oh, yeah, I might try that next time. Or that's made me think about that differently. Or I never knew that that worked like that. So, yeah, hopefully the, the bite sizeness of it will mean that it's really accessible and um, everyone can find something that will hopefully make their cycling either a bit easier or a bit more enjoyable for them. Yeah, 100 percent. In terms of then kind of like the category of like aspects of cycling for me I think I find the difficult is like just the motivation the determination when I'm cycling because when I'm up the hill I'm up the hill and my knees are starting to really hurt that's when I realize that I get really tired of cycling I'm like oh. and then I look at people that cycle around the UK and do um like 80 miles a day and I'm like how do you have like the mental strength to do something like that and that's something that I would like to work on so what is it then for you that's something that you a category of cycling I don't really what to call it that you kind of struggle with the most um I think I struggle with lots of different things at different times um and different times in my life you know when I was racing I always wanted to be better than I was and I lacked confidence and um I could never be you know I could never be as talented as I wanted to be um now I sometimes get frustrated that I can't go as far as I want um I mean, everyone always has that moment when they feel tired and they hurt a bit and they're wondering why they bother so sometimes for me um if I want to do I almost have to kind of trick myself so for example if you said to yourself right I'm going to ride 50 miles today but you knew that that was quite a long way and you, you probably wouldn't really want to do it yeah. then I might think okay well I'm going to ride to my mate's house and then that gives me a reason to go there because at the end of it, I'm going to see my friend and we're going to have like a, you know, a nice evening glass of wine and some food or whatever. And it's not just going out in a circle and coming home again, because when you're doing that, unless you're really motivated to train or for your fitness or because it's a beautiful day, you can kind of feel, oh, you know, why am I doing this? What am I getting from it? Or um, things like jumping on a train and going like three stops down the train line and then cycling back to your house. That's really good because yeah. as, you, as you get to the point where you're tired, you're also getting nearer and nearer home. And then, um, yeah, and then you've also got no choice. You've got to finish it. But when you say things like, oh, when I'm feeling tired and my knees hurt, then maybe you almost need to go back a bit further and think like, Am I, are my knees hurting because of a problem with my bike and my bike setup? Am I comfortable? Am I warm enough? Um, have I eaten enough? Have I drunk enough? Because all of those things will affect your motivation and they're all things yeah. you can control. Yeah, 100%. There's something that I would definitely like to work on, even like when it comes to walking. Like I did 
I finally hiked up Snowdonia the other day and I could just tell that when I was getting towards the top that my motivation just wasn't there anymore and at one point I turned to my boyfriend and I was like I don't know if I can do this anymore but my legs weren't hurting I wasn't out of breath or anything it was just a mental thing and that's something that I'd really like to work yeah. on I guess and I think a lot of people especially with endurance sports kind of work on that so because I think the mental thing is what kind of is a biggest barrier to get over I guess yeah your body can do so much more if your mind can get you to take it there yeah and um I kind of think of my mental strength almost like a muscle like if yeah. you want your legs to be stronger you go out and you do training to make your legs stronger and your mind is it I think it for me it kind of works in the same way that I have to keep challenging myself to make my mental strength long, stronger and to improve my motivation and almost in those situations you're like yeah but you know when I get to the top there's going to be an amazing view and what a sense of achievement and you start to learn the things that you can tell yourself to keep yeah. keep focused and motivated yeah 100 percent. I was unfortunate that I didn't have a great view on top of Snowden because uh, all the clouds were down but it was still a great achievement going up there <laughs> and I was like thank god I'm up the top I can go back down now <laughs> Um, so I, I've noticed doing this podcast, I've talked to so many cyclists all over the UK and they seem to be very tight knit. Like I go to follow them on Instagram and then I realise that all the other cyclists I've talked to like following each other on Instagram anyway. Um, so it seems like such a tight knit community when you get your group. Have you found then that it was relatively easy to get cycling advice? Uh, I think it's really easy to get cycling advice. I don't think it's always easy to get good cycling advice. Yeah. I think a lot of cyclists, particularly people who've been doing it for a while and are quite experienced, for lots of reasons, some of which are positive and some of which are negative, they want to tell other people how to do it. And sometimes that can be great. Like the people I met when I was learning, they were brilliant because they, they wanted me to have a good experience. Some cyclists... Um, might take it from a perspective if they want to show you how much they know and then yeah. that's not really a very positive experience for a newcomer um and i think some people as well might want to help but then not know how to help or worry that they might offend someone by just kind of like plowing on in and you know giving advice that's not wanted i think the problem that cycling sometimes has is it happens like out there in the in the countryside and in, in cities and in the world and if you think about other sports if you wanted to go swimming you'd go to a swimming pool and at the swimming pool there'd be coaches and lifeguards and other people who could help you or if you wanted to play tennis you'd go to a tennis court and there'd be a tennis coach there but cycling you just get on your bike and you ride off into the into the wilderness yeah and there's no there's no fixed point where you can turn up to and say right I'm here to learn about cycling but there is there's cycling clubs but they're sometimes they're hard to find you're not just going to bump into a cycling club that often you're going to have to do a bit of research um but once you get I think once you get into particularly um cycling clubs or even bike shops bike shops can be a really good source of advice because they'll yeah. know all the cyclists locally and hopefully would point you in the direction of um those that were going to be most helpful and supportive. I think once you meet one person, 
then it kind of just explodes. You know, you, you meet one person and they say, hey, you should come along on our Tuesday ride. And then you go on the Tuesday ride and someone says, oh, you're really strong. Have you thought about, you know, coming and doing like a beginner race day? And then you turn up to that and someone else says, oh, you know, you look really good on your bike. If you thought about doing mountain biking, we're going Saturday. Do you want to come with us? Yeah. And that's really been my experience of cycling that, once you get into it, it can be a, be a whole network of people and ex- opportunities open up to you. Yeah. But it's, it's getting in. Yeah. It's so strange to me that now that I'm starting to learn more about like cycling, that there isn't just one cycling. <laughs> you don't just get on your bike and cycle. Like there's so many different ways to cycle, if that makes sense. Like ultra cycling, racing, mountain biking, all of that. What is your favourite then? What's your preferred to do? Um, well, firstly, I think cycling is cycling. Yeah. Right? You know, it really is. You can ride a mountain bike to the shops. You don't have to have, you know, you don't, it doesn't have to be that specialist. You can yeah. just ride your bike. But um, as you get more and more involved, it does. You can, like, go off down these, like, little channels and get into more and more kind of niche parts of it. Um, I love, I, I mean, I love long-distance cycling. Um, I've done um, some silly things like 24-hour mountain bike solo races where I just rode my mountain bike on my own around an 11-mile circuit for 24 hours oh and God. weirdly enjoyed it. Um, but I've also done a lot of long-distance cycling. Um, I've written a book called France on Velo, which is from San Malo to Nice, which is a 1,000-mile journey. And then that's a completely different um experience because each day you might do 70 80 90 miles a day but you're moving through a country rather than going round and round in circles yeah so I don't I don't think I've got anything um that I love more than another thing because I think each type of cycling I've done that I enjoy doing there's always some moment that puts a smile on your face or even if it doesn't put a smile on your face at the time when you think back to it you go oh yeah that was I'm glad I did that yeah 100%. 100%. I recently just came back. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard Powerful Park. So they're like kind of the people I'm doing, the, did the podcast in collaboration with another like two separate things. And they just cycled an extended joggle. So John got slams in, but they did the Orgnaz and that was silly. So I was with them every day. And then we got half, I, I just couldn't believe that they were able to just get up every day and cycle like 100 kilometers every day. And then like, they still seem to have so much energy and I don't understand how they were able to do it for like two weeks. Like it just blows my mind, but I just, <laughs> so you've done something similar. I just don't understand how you people can just, I don't know, just get on a bike every single day and do it. Well, cycling, cycling is a really efficient way of moving. Yeah. I, the, uh, the bike is the most energy efficient machine in the world. Like the, the energy you as a human put in for what you get out in terms of speed and the distance you can cover yeah. is absolutely amazing. And when you do these long distance trips, you kind of get into a bit of, um, like we call it the trip bubble. And you get up in the morning and you put your cycling kit on and you have your breakfast and you get on your bike. And that's that's what you're doing that day. And after a while your body and your mind just gets used to the routine of it and it doesn't feel that hard and yeah yeah, you feel tired and you feel hungry and you probably feel grumpy at some point but you get into this yeah this really lovely and it's really relaxing as well because you're not worrying about anything more than you know where's my next snack stop or where's my lunch stop or where's my um, bed tonight 
and how many more miles have I got to go? And you just become really immersed in what you're doing. And I, I think for a lot of people, when they do long distance cycling as a holiday, it's like a real break from your normal life. Yeah. Yeah, I did notice that. Like a lot of the times, um, cause the support crew had all the guys' phones. Like they had one just for sat nav and that was it. And I think that must have been so great, like mentally for them, just having like that break from everything outside and then just cycling and just having that and just being within like all the green space that they were so I was really envious of that actually but I really don't think I could cycle that far but maybe I could you absolutely <laughs> could I've I've guided trips where people have been really nervous about doing it but it's just it's just bite size like if you can ride 10 miles to your coffee stop then you just ride 10 miles to your lunch stop and then you ride 10 miles to your afternoon coffee stop and yeah. By the end of the day, you're like, wow, I've ridden 60 miles today. And, you know, okay, I'm not going to make some sweeping statement that everyone can do it, but a lot more people can do it than think they can do it. So yeah. give it a go. You'll be, you'll surprise yourself, I'm sure. Yeah, maybe, maybe uh, you'll see in the very distant future that I will do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is good. I think this might be the hardest question of the podcast, actually. If you were to give just five tips to someone starting out cycling, what would it be? Yeah, that is a really good one. Um, okay, so the first one isn't a, a, advice as such, but it's cycling shouldn't be uncomfortable. Yeah. And um, I think sometimes when people start cycling, they sort of think that, okay, my bum hurts, but that it should do, or my knees hurt, but that's normal, or my neck aches. And actually, it shouldn't do. If your bike's set up right, if you've got the right kit, then cycling should be a comfortable experience. And if it's not, then you need to get some help with it. Um, so that's my first one. Um, eating and drinking can make a huge difference to how you feel when you're riding yeah. a bike. And, um, you know, when you're cycling along, you might forget to take a drink or you might forget to eat or you might not feel confident to take your hands off the handlebars and as soon as you start to um, get low on energy and get a little bit dehydrated then things that would have been easy start to feel really hard and you get really grumpy as well yeah so if you're riding your bike eating and drinking is something really important um you don't need fancy kit like don't put off cycling until you can afford like a really swanky bike or really expensive outfit or you know whatever it is you think you need because you could grab something out the back of the shed get it fixed up and ride you know ride that's it it doesn't yeah. have to be any more than that you can just do it um don't don't let yourself be pigeonholed like you were saying about kind of different disciplines, yeah. like try everything and it is just riding a bike and don't let people who have been cycling for years make out to you that it's any more complicated than that because yeah. it really isn't. Um, it's, yeah, whether it's a mountain bike, a road bike, um, a gravel bike, a touring bike, they are all just bikes, you know, they steer at the front and you pedal them and the wheels go round. So don't overcomplicate it. And if you think you like the look of something, don't let anyone tell you that it's not the right sport for you because it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's probably my my final tip again is like more of a statement that people say, oh, I'm not a proper cyclist. Well, what's a proper cyclist? Someone riding a bike is a cyclist. 
Yeah. So as soon as you get on your bike and you you ride somewhere, then you're a cyclist. You don't need to have anything more fancy than that. Yeah, it's really funny that you mentioned that because I was you've tried you've cleared something up to me a bit now. So I was talking to Marcus Stitz because he had cycled on a single gear bike around the world, and that blew my mind because I was like, hills must have been so hard, so hard. And then so I asked him and I was like, why a single speed bike? And then he was like, because I just prefer that bike. It's not. And I was like, oh, because when I went into the podcast, I was thinking maybe he did it as a challenge. Maybe it was like a world record. But no, it was just because that's where he was comfortable on. And that only now is kind of just like, oh, okay, now that actually starts to make sense to me. So yeah. <laughs> um, when you were sitting down and writing all these tips and getting out and cycling and testing them all out, what were some of the highlights of writing this book for you? Um, talking to people and hearing their tips because when I told people um, my my mates what I was writing then they all wanted to to come up with some tips of their own like they had yeah. some some ideas so we had some good conversations and I learned a few things and I heard a few stories that I might not otherwise have done and it's also on a personal level it's made me realize um, like how many bits of information I've been able to pick up through the years. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of cyclists who've been riding bikes as long as me and have had, you know, similar kind of experiences who have could easily write another thousand tips and they'd be a completely different thousand tips to what I've written. Um, but it did make me realise how much I've kind of learned on my own journey in cycling. And hopefully a few people will, you know, still be able to learn something from them as well. Yeah, 100%. I'm starting to think now I might get this book for my dad. Maybe he can learn a few things from these cycling tips. Well, I think I, what he'll do is he'll he'll find some things he agrees with and say, oh, yeah, she's right about that. Yeah. And then he'll find something he disagrees with and go, oh, I wouldn't do it like that. And then he'll find <laughs> one that he goes, oh, yeah, maybe I'll try that. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> um, on, the, on the flip then, what was some of the hardest parts about writing this book? Was it hard to get to 1001 or was it relatively easy? Uh, it was like the first 500 were quite easy because I just sat there and wrote things down. And as they came into my head, then I'd think of something else connected with it and that flowed quite easily. But I was conscious of... Um, it still has to be organized and it still has to be useful to people. So yeah. I couldn't write 50 things about one thing and then like two about another. So I think towards the end when I was kind of like, you know, yeah, like 998, 999. <laughs> and, then, and then I got to like 1,005 and I'm like, no, which ones am I going to get rid of? You know, I've actually done <laughs> yeah. too many now. So trying to get it like bang on a number, I think, is is always a bit hard. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I can't believe that you managed to get more than a thousand and one. That just I have no idea how there are so many cycling tips out there, but I guess so many people do it. <laughs> um, so this season um of Mind the Green Space is all about national parks and kind of climate change effects on them. And you live in the Yorkshire Dales, am I right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So and then doing guided tours then in national parks, do you think then that enough is being done within these national parks to promote active travel like cycling? Um, I think there can always be more. I think in the in the national parks, 
there's two there's like different types of cycling that are happening here there's cycle tourism where people yeah. are coming into these beautiful areas especially to ride their bikes you know where i am in the yorkshire dales um road cycling is really popular areas near me were used in the um, tour of britain and the tour de france so people want to come and they want to ride those roads and um the same with mountain biking um, we're adjacent to the lake district and there's a lot of mountain biking over there so there's that type of cycling and then there's also more um active travel for the people who live here and one of the um interesting things with rural areas is how how you get between towns and um countryside so yeah. i think that could be more done in places to help people who aren't sport cyclists use cycling for active travel you know for getting to work for getting to school and um there's a there's a piece i can i'll send you the reference for it but cycling uk looked at some research from the department for transport and during covid accidents went down in urban areas but actually there are more cycling related injuries out on rural roads because yeah. rural roads, you know, there's not as much traffic, so you feel safer, but they can be really narrow. Um, the traffic that you can see might be going quite fast or might be quite big. So I think there are issues of safety in areas around the national parks where people are going to cycle, you know, whether that's making drivers more aware or putting cycling provisions in for them. Um, but a lot of... Uh, businesses, independent businesses are working to encourage cycle tourism, which is really great to see, you know, bike parking outside cafes or somewhere to lock your bike or a track pump, or if you're like a little post office in the middle of nowhere selling inner tubes because you might just get that one cyclist who comes in one day who's had a puncture. So I think there's, there's a really growing kind of business opportunity for yeah. people to welcome cycle tourism and cycle tourism itself it, it is eco you know people have got here possibly by car or train or, or however but once they're here they're moving between towns and through the countryside by bike we're not clogging up the roads i mean the some of the national parks have had really difficult years with covid and people being so desperate to get into the countryside the roads have been parked on and blocked and you know cyclists aren't contributing to those yeah. problems but they are going to spend money in in the in the national park and in the local communities and quite often the places that cyclists want to go are not the kind of typical tourist hotspots so it yeah. helps to to spread um that kind of tourism spend to new areas so i think yeah. it's it's definitely something that um more businesses and the national parks themselves should be really alive to yeah, I think when I was on the trip as well, something that got me is like, I think it was definitely the Lake District and how this, I'm not sure if it was just because their route or something, but they were always on roads and they were on um in the Lake District and it would just seem like so dangerous, especially because um, they're not the best road cyclists as it is, these guys. <laughs> um, yeah. I actually think I should send them a part of your book um, you, when you've got like how you should be formed when a car comes over because they definitely need to learn that. Um, so it was really, there was a lot of worrying times as well. I think when we were in um, Dartmoor National Park, um, so many cars on the road and then they were just 
having to be so much slower because there were no cycling tracks for them to be on, which really surprised me, yeah. especially within the national parks. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a huge amount of pressures on national parks from lots of different areas. And I mean, to put in segregated cycle lanes isn't always possible. You know, yeah. you've got around here, you've got high stone walls and narrow roads. Um, if you wanted to put a cycle path separate from the road, then you'd need multiple landowners to let you use their land. And that that's, comes at a cost and is also difficult to negotiate. Um, so there's there are lots and lots of pressures on the space here. But absolutely, places where you see cyclists a lot, more could be done to help ease the pressure between yeah. cyclists and car drivers. I mean, when when we have cycling holidays in this area, I quite often brief people about there'll be, you know, even drivers, you've got people who are on holiday, so they're driving along and they're looking at the scenery and they might be driving a bit more slowly but not paying attention. Yeah. So you've got to be kind of mindful of what they're doing there or people in camper vans. So they're not used to driving a big wide vehicle. And then, you know, people live and work here. You know, they might need to move um, animals from one field to another or be getting to their office or be going out to an emergency. And they want to move at a different speed to the holiday traffic and the cyclists. So yeah. there, there are definite places where there's a lot more friction. But as a, a cycle guide and a um, route designer, one of my solutions would be to try and encourage people to think beyond the obvious cycle routes yeah. and, um, yeah, to go to go somewhere new and to not have everyone going round and round like the same circuit, but actually yeah. challenge themselves to find to find space where other people aren't cycling. Yeah, hundred percent. How have you found then that cycling has kind of translated into an um, maybe a new appreciation appreciation for green spaces and maybe um, a bit more eco consciousness? Have you found that from cycling or? Yeah, I think I've always had an appreciation of, of green space. You know, I live in the Yorkshire Dales National Park now, but I grew up in the New Forest National Park, so I've yeah. always been someone who wants to spend time outside and be in open space, and a bike's helped me to do that. I think what my bike's done is given me more appreciation of the eco side of using your bike for transport. Yeah. Um, I would I would never drive my car if it was, you know, five miles or less, because I know I can get there by bike. And certainly in a in a town I can probably get there quicker by bike than I can by my car. Um so yeah, it's almost like cycling is my a choice and then if I can't do it by bike then I'd look to a car or public transport yeah and I think that's what we all need in this country is to shift our mentality um two-thirds of journeys in this country done by car are under five miles like anyone like okay again no sweeping statements but most people can ride five miles and most people who live in a city can cycle five miles quicker than they could drive it yeah. And, you know, it's you're not waiting in a bus stop in the rain or you're not like crammed onto a busy train. So that's that's where cycling and my kind of eco thinking come together, that we need to change our personal mentality and um, the people we know. So it's kind of like walking is your A choice. Like if it's if it's under a mile, just walk. Yeah. If it's more than a mile, 
and it's under well it depends what kind of cyclist you are you know say five but for some people it might be 20 then you bike and then if you can't do it walking and if you can't do it by bike then you get in your car but I yeah. think as a nation it's like we just get in our car and then we don't even think about the other two so that's that's what I'd like to try and see change yeah, hundred percent. Especially with like the convenience, because I feel like we're always in such a rush that even when I'm going like two miles away to go to Tesco's, like that travel time, I just want to get it out of the way when I could easily just you know spend a little more time and take the bike out, and it would just be way better. But then again, it's but absolutely. But it has to be easy for you. Yeah, and that's what um, town planners and road designers need to understand is that. You take your car because it's easy, but if cycling your bike was easy, it would make riding your bike seem more attractive. Yeah. And that means feeling safe, having a route that doesn't cross other busy roads, having somewhere to park your bike when you get to Tesco, um, you know, make it as simple as possible. And then for you, I know personally that I'm less inclined to ride my bike if I'm not organized so like if yeah. you've got panniers that you can take into the shop and use as your shopping bags and then clip back on your bike then that makes shopping easy and if you've got a really nice waterproof jacket so you don't worry about cycling in the rain and if your bike's always you know got its tires pumped up and it's ready to go then it makes it easy and yeah it's all about making cycling seem like an easy option when I lived in, in South London, it was a real pain to go anywhere by car. Yeah. Like that was the difficult option. So choosing my bike was the easy option. Whereas when you live somewhere that you've got a bit more space and it's a bit quieter, they're, they're a bit more even. So you've actually got to make the conscious decision to choose your bike. But if town planners and um, yeah, road planners and supermarkets can think about how can we make this experience better for cyclists, then it takes away the excuse. Otherwise, um, the other option is you have to go with a more kind of like push mechanism where you make the car park like a 500 metre walk from the door, but the bike parking's <laughs> right outside. And then it might persuade people that it's better to cycle to the door than have to park further away from the door. Yeah. But it, it just takes, it takes people to think about um, the psychology of, of change really. Yeah, that's definitely, that's all it comes down to, isn't it? It's just changing your mentality. Because like you said, most people could easily ride five miles if they wanted to. And if they just made the time to, I guess, it's just a change in mentality and then also like structure of towns, like you said. Um, So cycling tourism is a new, a relatively new concept to me. I've come across it a few times, but I love the idea of it. But can you talk about like, what is the benefit of like a cycling holiday and cycling tourism? Oh, it's, I mean, it's great. I think it's one of the best like, types of holiday you can do because it takes you to new places. Um, you can explore at a speed that allows you to really appreciate and understand where you are. Um, like if you're, if you're driving through somewhere and you see something interesting, by the time you've gone, oh, that looks really interesting, you've driven past it and then you've got to turn around and then you've got to find somewhere to park. So you just don't bother. You don't yeah. go into that like cool little cafe or go into the art gallery or look at the view because it's just, it's actually really difficult. But when you're on your bike, you can stop, you can look around, you can speak to people more easily. Um, you get 
the kind of the whole, all of your senses are engaged. So when I've cycled in, um, say, like Costa Rica, when you're riding along and you can smell like different street foods or you can smell fresh fruit or um, you can hear different languages being spoken. When you're when you're in a, you know, in a car, on a train or on a, a different type of tour, then you're kind of closed off from that. And you're also going places. So like rather than going on holiday and like sitting on the beach the whole time, you're actually seeing different things. And that I think can really um, give you back a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm and kind of like make you feel kind of more creative and more excited by life, yeah. but still be relaxing. And when you're on your bike as well, you're cycling all day long. So you get to your destination and you're like, great, I can eat loads of lovely, delicious food. Um, I can have a few drinks and relax. And you kind of have that lovely, um, like physical tiredness. Yeah. I think a lot of us who work, uh, you know, really hard and really long hours, we, the tiredness we feel is often mental fatigue, whereas to feel like real genuine, like physical bone deep tiredness at the end of the day, when you've had a really nice meal and a lovely glass of wine from the local vineyard that you just happen to be camped next to, then that can feel really like full body and mind relaxing. So I think yeah. it's a, yeah, it's a great way to holiday. Yeah, um, it's quite funny because when I was growing up, all of our family holidays, as you'd say, like we'd just be going Tenerife and going to the beach because my mother would work all the time. And it was like, she was, that's our time to break. There's, there was no like, ex a little bit of exploring, but it was like the days are just for chilling, reading a book and everything. And now that I'm getting older I'm and I'm going on my own, I'm starting to realise the type of holidays that I'm looking for. And my boyfriend has a very different idea of a holiday to me. So I sent him the other day, I think it was like, a paddleboarding trip in like the middle of nowhere where you just you paddleboard down like a river the entire time then you camp and he was like that's not a holiday and I was like yes it is it seems so much fun why would you not want to do that and he was like why would I want to just paddleboard and just see the water all day and I'm like no it's so much more than that and um I asked him as well I was like can we do do base camp of um Everest as a holiday when you and he was like that's not a holiday like, yes it is and he was like why would you want to just climb a mountain for two weeks I'm like why wouldn't you want to climb a mountain for two weeks yeah. it's so funny seeing like the different types of holidays that people um kind of gravitate towards just because like how they've grown up and stuff it's really interesting to me yeah. seeing all these different people and people talking about that on the flip side then what is like some of the drawbacks of cycle tourism do you think I think the, the problems of cycle tourism are the same as for a lot of tourism that um, particularly when you're doing like walking or hiking you talk about base camp and um, people want to go off the beaten path that's like yeah. a really desirable thing isn't it you know I want to go off the beaten path I want to see someone no one else has seen I want to go somewhere that's like authentic but those places still have to be done um you still have to travel there sensitively and if everyone goes off the beaten path then it quickly becomes a, a really beaten path yeah <laughs> like you can't preserve something untouched by visiting it so I think any type of travel tourism um, or adventure tourism has those challenges and then working um, with the local community to make sure that the money you're bringing in is benefiting the community and it's going to the right places 
and you're not actually creating problems by being there um, and trying to bring as well uh, some kind of some ideas that can benefit the people that you're working with but yeah. not um, not to treat where you're traveling as a commodity I, I once heard someone describe a mountain as a natural product and I was like that to me I find that really offensive that's a horrible phrase you know like you're not even treating it like respect you're looking at as a product that can generate you an income yeah and I think you know but that's totally wrong but in any any kind of tourism you have to be sensitive to the impact of, of your visit on the place that you're visiting but compared with a lot of types of tourism cycling is small group sizes um cycling itself is like physically low impact on the land um and the people who generally go on cycling holidays are looking to uh, meet people and understand a culture that they're visiting better and that could be you know that could be somewhere in this country it could be anywhere yeah um so i think i think cycling holidays do a lot more good than harm in the places that they visit yeah 100% there's no different appreciation i think as well isn't there because you're using this green space to get around and stuff you don't want to um disrupt it or anything you've got a real appreciation for it there's a really interesting thing that i learned the other day how national parks in the uk are set up to kind of guide tourists into like the area of the national park that they want them in so that the rest can yeah. be like protected from everything and that was so interesting to me because I never thought of that I just go to these places in the national park because it's what I search on the internet and I'm like best things to do in the lake district and I go to these places not thinking that me going to these places are because the national park wants to keep me not away from other these places but kind of protect these other places in the national yeah. park and it's a way of um of management I we um growing up in the new forest we I can remember doing um honeypot sites that's what people call them when I was like a kid at school and going out to a site where everyone used to go for picnics and uh there's a a really good phrase which is um view brew and aloo and that's what you need to to keep people in a space because if they can go to the toilet they can have a cup of tea and they can look at something pretty then they won't go anywhere else and that controls your kind of area of disruption and and you know and damage to an extent in a way that can be managed rather than everyone spreading out but again it's that conflict isn't it because people want to get off the beaten path yeah they want to have a new experience um so some people are more resistant to that kind of management than others and they can they can spot that they're being directed towards a honeypot site and then they're like no I'm going off on my own yeah (laughs) um some quick fire questions then kind of like a would you rather kind of section um road cycling or mountain biking uh now it's road cycling then it was mountain biking awesome um all-time best cycle snack that you need to have on you uh chocolate covered marzipan Ooh, interesting i've <laughs> never heard of that before um lycra lycra or loose cycling clothes uh lycra lycra i think that's kind of a popular one i assume um top five essentials that you need when cycling ultra endurance um ooh. A bike isn't involved in this, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Really comfortable cycling shorts, Mm -hmm. definitely. 
Um, chocolate covered marzipan, definitely. <laughs> um, all the tools you need to fix your bike, yeah. like not a massive toolkit, but to know that you can fix everything that you need to. Um, a map, like a physical paper map, if you're somewhere where you're going to have to navigate yourself because yeah. electronic stuff does frequently go wrong. Uh, lights, yeah, so that you're ready. Like riding at night is one of the most beautiful and like, yeah, soul-stirring experiences. So yeah, there's 24 hours in a day. Get some decent lights and, and enjoy more of them. Love that. That was really good. Um, five top essentials there and then the last one all-time best cycling app uh, I still love Strava it's it keeps me motivated it's got good routes I can keep an eye on what other people are up to um, yeah so still Strava yeah my dad recently downloaded Strava and he started following Isaac from one of the trip to just see where we were but now he's starting to feel like this guilt because every day when Isaac goes out for his lunchtime cycle he's seeing he's getting like the notification yeah and like and he's like oh, I haven't been out for three days and Isaac's already on his like fourth cycle of the day <laughs> it's quite motivating actually when you can see what other people are doing I think um kind of end questions then what does cycling do for you uh, it makes me feel good physically. It gives me independence and self-confidence and it takes me places. Love that. Um, what's one piece of advice you would give to someone looking to just get into cycling? Um, just get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't overcomplicate things. Um, you know, some... Get a, get a bike, get some kit, get started, and you'll you'll work it out, and you'll find people who will help you work it out. Amazing, that's awesome. Uh, final one then, where can find people find out more about you and your cycling guide, a thousand and one cycling tips? Okay, so it's um, on sale um, in loads and loads of good bookshops and all your independent local bookshops, and it's on the Vertebrae Publishing website as well. Amazing. And I'm on Twitter mainly. Occasionally I get on Instagram, but I'm always on Twitter if you want to ask anything. Awesome. I love that. All linked below. And would you like me to link your website as well? Can people find out more about you there or? Um, yeah. Can I, are you going to have clickable links? Yes. Can, I'll send you some stuff then. Yeah. That's send me some easy. links. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed um, talking to you today about all the cycling tips you have. Yeah, it was great. It was lovely to chat to you. And I'm really, really hoping that you're going to get on your bike and you're going to do one of these long journeys because I know you can do it. I am a bit more inclined to do it now, I think, especially talking to so many people. I'm getting a bit like getting a bit of FOMO, if that makes sense, like hearing all these people's stories. Yeah. And I'm like, OK, this, that's I think that's motivation for me, seeing other people doing it and having great experiences. And I'm like, what? I feel like I'm missing out now. Yeah, you yeah. are. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it cool no it's been lovely to chat to you 
Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. There are new episodes every Thursday. And if you want to keep up to date with the Mind the Green Space outside of the podcast, make sure you check us out on Instagram at Mind the Green Space. There'll be a link in the description.